a roll of the dice to save your life. Today on Podcast Magoria. episode of Podcast Magoria. My name's James. And I'm Autumn. And today we're going to be discussing something that we very much like to involve ourselves in, and that <laughs> is horror board games. Mm-hmm. Now to kind of start here, I want to specify that we are only strictly talking about horror board games and not including horror card games Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. that would be too much inclusion also i'm not including standalone dice games like Uh zombie dice and stuff like that it's basically yahtzee yeah yeah it is so that's the you will not like definition board game it has to have a board there i said it (laughs) (laughs) board games have been a part of the human experience since the dawn of man and they are no exception to succumbing to the dark shadows that hide within the recesses of our imaginations that's right folks horror has permeated even something as innocent as candy land <laughs> there are many types of board games out there typically the ones that are usually the most popular are the ones that are uh, known as like race games Hmm. where, you know, you're just basically rolling the dice, moving your piece to get to a goal at the end. Right, right. Um, there are several other types and stuff, you know, kind of like your um, strategy board games and then resource building board games and stuff like that. I would say that most of the horror board games, at the, at the very least, most of the ones that we're going to be talking about are classified more along the lines of race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, So where does one start with the rich history of board games and horror board games at that? Well, how about we do as we do with most of our concept episodes, which is discussing first our first experiences uh, with uh, horror board games. I suppose I'll begin. (laughs) Um, My first horror board game, which has actually been discussed in a previous episode, was uh, Goosebumps Terror in the Graveyard. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I don't think that i really went into so much detail as far as the actual like working parts of it just kind of like the overall feel uh which this horror themed board game a milton bradley classic was a very simple concept where the players would move across the board uh to reach the end of graveyard however whenever you're moving you roll two die you roll the one that's for your movement and then one that dictates how the tombs are going to move. This kind of moves around the board and also possibly will ensnare the other players within uh, the tombs. <laughs> the whole point of this uh, getting to the end is to exercise the graveyard of uh, the ghost that haunts uh, said graveyard. Um, once you reach the end, you have to have a magic ring in order to... Uh, use the little skull that you drop in the top of the of the tomb and then if it drops down the right way it'll trigger the ghost and the ghost will will be banished from the cemetery however if if it goes the wrong way 
then this gives the other players an opportunity to catch up and maybe win the game instead of yourself. So it's it's it like it's a game of like somewhat strategy because you got to because you have to move around. Yeah. But to actually win, you got to have luck. Yeah. Tons of luck. Because yeah. We played it. Not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And... All of us reached the end, and we could not get that skull to go the right way to make the ghost uh, yeah. pop up into the air. Yeah, because our roommate ha- was, like, the first to get to the end, and he pretty much spent, like, five turns mm-hmm. dropping the skull. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you know, and then, it, like, the, you do get, like, cards as you're playing it, uh, which... Sometimes they'll transfer, uh, transform the player into a monster, and so you have to find like a potion to heal yourself of, of the monsterism. As well as there are uh, cards in there to steal items from other players and stuff like that. So there's mm-hmm. definitely some sabotage involved with the game too. For I th- sure. I think it's kind, it's fun. You know, even as an adult, mm-hmm. like um, you know, we definitely got wrapped up in it. Yeah. You know, for such a simple concept in a game that's meant for like I think like six to twelve year olds. Well, I mean, you can also sabotage it to where the people fall into the graves too yeah. while you're playing. So yeah. like, there's a lot of ways you can screw over your friends in this children's game yeah yeah it's <laughs> definitely an early uh introduction to screwing people over mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um what was your experience well to be honest with you i didn't really get to play a whole lot of board games when i was a child it was either trivial trivial pursuit or uh the game of life really was all i really got to play a well, lot life can be pretty scary True, but uh, I do have some discussion for you about this. I want to know your opinion because somebody actually brought this up in our comments Uh uh, for this episode. And what about games like Clue or Operation, Candyland, (laughs) Snakes and Ladders, with all these kind of horror elements in them? Um, so I, I like, yeah, and, and the person that had, um, commented Clue and asked if that counted, I think it does because mm-hmm. of the fact that it is murder themed. Right. Um, now granted there are like actual horror versions of Clue out there as well. Mm-hmm. Cause kind of like Monopoly, it has a million versions. I will say this though, no version of Monopoly counts as horror. I don't care if it's got <laughs> universal monsters in it. Right. Capitalism it's is scary, very, but, very scary. But I mean, that, that is stretching. Um, <laughs> like Clue, uh, Clue's kind of though also dangerously on that on the edge of it's. It's more of a mystery. Th- yeah, mystery thriller suspense. And as we've discussed before, like that's such a weird edge of horror itself. Right. But I do think that Clue counts. Operation by far i do think counts body horror body horror um also um i think it's probably one of the first games to have a jump scare oh yeah yeah for (laughs) sure (laughs) so because if you don't tell like if it's a kid that's never played it and you don't tell them that it buzzes you like yeah, that's that w- very surprising. That was literally my first experience with Operation. Oh my gosh. Operation. I, I guess I could have said that Operation was my first horror game because I remember, like, my parents got me Operation for Christmas one mm-hmm. year. I was like maybe four or five years old, uh-huh. and I did not know. 
I didn't know. I'm like I had only seen the commercial. Yeah. And I wanted it so bad. Yeah, and it, the commercial doesn't say that you feel. Yeah, yeah. It's just thing. it doesn't really. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I expected, but I didn't yeah. expect it. Yeah. And so the first time I screwed up, which was immediately when we started playing, um, yeah, the buzz happens, the nose lights up. I booked it to the bathroom <gasps> oh. and locked myself inside <laughs> and would not come out until the game had been put up. Oh. And I stayed in there for a while. When I came out, um, my my dad had left and had taken the game with him. He went and returned the game. Oh, wow. <laughs> He's like, well, we're not going to play it since you're scared of it. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, I definitely was like, I, you know, I could probably get over it. <laughs> And so it wasn't until many, many years later that I ended up getting a used copy of Operation to finally live out my my doctor fantasy. Uh, but yeah, like, I I don't know. There are like a lot of those kind of games that do count. Yeah. I, I think definitely count. Snakes and Ladders. Is... <laughs> Come on, it's got snakes in it. Yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I was just, I was just including that yeah. one as a little funny. Uh, I do think, though, that, uh, you know, a lot of games are very, very, very similar to to Candyland, however. And I, uh, okay, yeah. The games that we usually play, pretty similar to Candyland in a lot of ways. I'm just thinking about uh, that Peppermint guy. He's yeah. kind of creepy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember playing it as a kid and thinking that some of the, the – there was something dark going on there. There, there is something dark like, going on in Candyland for I get, sure. If they made a movie – about Candyland, it would be gritty. It'd be creepy, and you know, it'd be kind of like um, the Banana Splits movie. You know, like yeah. it would be. I think I don't think they would make it straightforward, uh, like a a kid friendly. I think they would have made it into a horror film for sure, for sure. <laughs> now, I do want to bring up another nostalgic board game memory for me, and it's going to include conversation that's definitely going to have to be for another episode. Sure. But did you know that there was a Close Encounters of the Third Kind board game? I did not. All right. Well, the discussion is, is Close Encounters of the Third Kind horror? Kind of is for me because a lot of the parts in it are kind of scary. But with this particular board game, I wanted to bring it up because it's so funny to me. We had this board game. Uh -huh. And my grandma would not let us open it. It's still in the plastic oh, wrapping damn, really? and everything. Oh, yeah. my God. Because uh, she said it would be worth a lot of money one day. Yeah. Well, I finally look, looked it up for this episode because I was thinking about it. Sure. And, yeah, no, nah, it's only worth uh, probably a little less than uh, what we had paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. And I'll be talking about uh, here in a little bit about... Uh, value of games uh, because I definitely have uh, a disappointing example. Uh huh. Um, but but yeah, I I do I, I will plug this. I will say that um, I think that Close Encounters does count as horror. There are a lot of scenes in there in that movie that are scary. Um, I wish I knew more about the board game. So I'm very curious as to how it plays. Me too. I don't know like what what your goal is yeah. like. Or anything like that. Since, yes, yeah. of course. I never got to play it. Never even yeah. got to really touch it. God, yeah, I'm, like <laughs> I'll have to uh, do a little follow-up research on it. Um, also, let's go ahead and plug the fact that this is going to have to lead to a larger conversation after the holiday season, I, I suspect, um, <laughs> of finally addressing the elephant in the room, which is sci-fi versus horror. Right. What's 
Where's the line? Yeah, where's the line? And why why is it so hard to uh, distinguish between the two? Well, let, let's for sure save that. Yeah. And let's move on to the meat and potatoes. Yeah. Let's stop talking about us. Yeah, let's <laughs> stop talking about us. Let's start talking about basically the history of, uh, like, not necessarily the history because, I like, that's a lot. There is way too many horror board games out yes. there. <laughs> um, so, you know... Like we usually do with these kind of like concept episodes, we kind of turn it into a little list. So we're going to go with vintage games, uh, moving on to more like your 80s and 90s, and then uh, and then more modern uh, horror games. Just a nice little sprinkling. Of course, as you just said, there is no way in hell we could talk about all the horror board games. I'm sure there's a lot out there that people are going to be like, why didn't they mention this one? This is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Trust me. Uh, this this is gonna be a cow. It's gonna be giving us milk for a very long time. <laughs> I I will say too. I feel like the more vintage ones are possibly more for. I felt like there was just a ton of games for children. Yeah. Rather than when we get into the newer stuff, it's all more complex adult board games. Yes. Yeah. yeah so... There was definitely like a board game renaissance uh, <laughs> where it wasn't so yeah childish because mm-hmm. it, it was crazy going through because i went of course i, I utilized boardgamegeek.com mm-hmm. um to chronologically go through a shit ton of uh horror board games right and just basically was i was looking for ones that weren't uh, an exact derivative of a basic board game right you know so that that was a little bit uh, you know kind of how i compiled uh a lot of like what i chose and stuff for this uh, episode so let's go ahead and turn back to the clock uh, you know, a little bit and talk about some of the horror board games from over the decades. This is, you know, again, a very, very small list uh, for all things considered. And also Ouija board does not need apply. <laughs> <laughs> it's not actually a board game anyway. It's, so. <laughs> yeah, even though it's like released by Parker Brothers or whatever. There's no goal to it or yeah, anything no, no like goal. that. It's a parlor game. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it, that's like saying um, playing like quarters with a shot glass. Oh, that's a board game. It's not a board game. <laughs> you know, so that's uh, that doesn't count. So let's start with our vintage uh, board games and the first one on this list i thought was incredibly neat oh and, yeah and super fun and that is haunted house from 1962 this is the oldest board game i could find that was actually horror themed um the other ones that were older i saw maybe you know they would include the word ghost in the title but they like flat out had nothing to do with actual ghosts it wasn't like you were hunting ghosts or anything Mm -hmm. like that um they were usually like because it was like ghost words or whatever where you used like you had tiles for like words and you used like a wand and it would flip the tile over if it was Mm. the correct word or something like that that's pretty neat it was a neat dynamic but there's no ghost you know, the ghost was doing the flipping. Uh, you're on. doing the flipping with your magnet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, and also I think it even has ghost in quotations. So, <laughs> I mean, that's just sad. It's Philip. Yeah. So this game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it was Philip the game. Um, so this game, Haunted House, is really freaking cool um, because the board is actually a standing haunted house. So instead mm-hmm. of it being a flat, you know, 2D image of a haunted house, you have a standing uh, model, more or less, of one. 
and uh, your pieces are like these pegs that you stick into it as you move along. I would love to have a copy of this, um, but it is incredibly expensive to get an original. Oh, yeah. And even like the later generation versions of them. It's it's insane. Oh, I imagine the boards and stuff were probably hard to uh, keep up. Sure. You know? Oh, yeah. See, what I'm hoping is that since um, 3D you know, printing and stuff has become so common that mm -hmm. maybe somebody out there that has an original copy of this game could do a 3d scan and Ooh. and make it a thing or it'd be really cool if if one of those like vintage board game you know companies did a kickstarter for this yeah the the concept of this game is extremely similar to um one of the first horror video games we had talked about in our horror video game episode a uh, haunted house for the magnavox odyssey you know, the one with the, the, the overlay you put on the screen. Because basically, uh, the whole point of this game is you're going from the, bo the bottom of the house all the way up to the attic to get the treasure. And that's the concept of that video game. Um, I didn't see anything, because I actually looked to see if there was any link between the two. Yeah. And I didn't see anybody make any connection. Yeah, I tried to find some sort of connection, too, because the board just looks so similar to yeah. the way the, the outline for that game is. Yeah. So, so I, I'm assuming that somebody that made that game... Was heavily inspired by this board game. Absolutely. So another original addition to this game that was really neat was um, it had an owl spinner. And um, it was just like this little base that you would pull a lever and it would spin the numbers on a wheel. Uh, however, the little lever would had a tendency to break. So the second edition of the game, they replaced this really neat mechanic with one of those really, really basic cardboard spinners like you would see in you know super cheap games. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing about that that was kind of amusing is... They didn't change the box uh, for the game when they did this as a second edition. All they did is they made a sticker and put it over the picture of the original spinner. Mm. <laughs> wow. So if you, like, get a hold of the original box, like, of uh, the, the second edition box and stuff, if you, like, kind of, like, steam the sticker off, it still has the picture of the original spinner. Wow. And that's uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As the, uh, as the players move their peg around the board, they may land on a stop space. Um, this would trigger a ghoul popping out uh, from like a trap door, forcing the player to have to either go back spaces or maybe go all the way back to the start. Eesh. Not all stop uh, spaces are ghouls, however. Some of them may zip the player ahead, uh, getting closer to the final stop. And of course, the final base is a stop space uh, where you put your peg in. It reveals a trap door containing an actual little jewel uh, that you get. Which is just so freaking cool. <laughs> this game is exceptionally rare, um, as I had mentioned before. Easily, you can you can you can find it for sale online. However, it is six hundred dollars for a complete version. Wow. Um, but I bet little Aunt May is probably selling it at a garage sale somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I like. I would say that um, if you peruse yard sales, garage sales, like school functions where they have like little. Oh, like, swap meets. Yeah, swap meets and stuff like that. 
I bet you could find this mm -hmm. for like 75 cents. Yeah, because I bet people don't realize that they have something so rare. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those old kind of board games, um, the owners of them, if, if it's the original owner, mm -hmm. they probably aren't going to be looking too hard as far as uh, how to sell and stuff online, or at least very much uh, look to see what the price is. Yeah. You can, however, find this game piece by piece. So, because you could find, like, the haunted house itself uh, for sale online, and you could find the spinner, and you can find all these little bits. So, technically, you could actually piece this game together if you bought all the parts separately for less than $600, but you're probably going to spend at least 250 Moving on to our next game, Witch Witch, <laughs> a 1970 classic. Why the heck does this game have so many different names? <laughs> I know, because uh, this one also is known as Haunted House. Probably the name of it in another country, I assume, yeah. on that one. Ghost Castle. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then also New Haunted House, because maybe the people from the original Haunted House game were like, hey, you can't call it Haunted House. Right, right. <laughs> so it's the new one. Now, I did see that uh, they're offering Ghost Castle again. It's, yeah. it's the same game, but it, it's just Ghost Castle. Yeah, yeah. I was super excited to see that. Uh, yeah, you can get it either on Amazon, uh, Target selling it. Mm -hmm. And it's currently, uh, for the holiday season, y'all, fourteen fifty. Yeah, yeah. So you can get... Insane. Yeah. Um, now, you might be wondering, well, gosh, why are you guys so incredibly excited about this? Um, or at least James is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let me... Let me Sprinkle in a little bit of my own history with this game real quick, which is I actually had this game for a while. Aww. I had the original Witch Witch, the 1970s edition. Um, I bought it from a garage sale. It was one of those um, like school, like middle school function, like swap meet kind of situations. I got this for 75 cents. <laughs> I uh, I brought it home, super excited. I opened up the box. It was missing almost the entire game. <laughs> like it had the board, it had some of the cards, it had um, it didn't have all the walls to it, but um, but yeah, it was it was definitely missing most of it. Um, I had for years considered just keeping it to have it as a display piece, but then eventually uh, the box got damaged. Uh, um, because I was keeping it near my bedroom air conditioner, the bedroom air conditioner uh, leaked water all over my board games and it ruined the box for this game. So I had to throw it away. Um, imagine my disappointment friends while doing research of this episode, discover that even if I had kept the damaged game missing pieces, I still, it still would have been worth over like $200. Dang. <laughs> it's yeah. It's insane. Um, so thanks for nothing, past me. Witch Witch is another, you know, neat board game set up because it has kind of like, you know, Haunted House. It's, it's come, it's a 3D board game, but instead of it just being like a flat, you know, standing, like almost like a dollhouse, like it actually had rooms that your, your players would go through. It was four sides. And as you're going through and stuff, this one's another, you know, race style board game. You know, the players roll to move with the goal of eventually reaching the charmed circle. 
Now, obviously, this isn't as easy as all of that, because as you're going, there's also danger spaces, which will trigger uh, the player to drop a ball down the chimney that's in the center of the uh, of the board and potentially have the ball pop out on your side, hitting your player, which then you have to take your p player piece back to the beginning of the game. So pretty rough stuff. Another mechanic of this game is also each turn the player pulls a witch card. See? Witch, witch. Oh, that's <laughs> where it comes in. This will either instruct the, uh, the player to drop the ball down the chimney, get turned into a mouse, or uh, be turned back into a regular child if you are currently a mouse. Hmm. Of the many different varieties and versions of this board game, um, I was really excited to learn that they also, uh, during the 80s, made a real Ghostbusters version of it. Now, see, that's the one I want. <laughs> I remember seeing that in stores. That would be so cool. Uh, it also is relatively expensive to get. I, I bet that one's particularly expensive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So moving right along what else do we have uh, uh to talk about for vintage board games autumn well from 1965 there's one called uh green ghost ah. which of course piqued my interest because the little green ghost included was based off of a blob yeah <laughs> like i thought that that was so cool that uh we pretty much have a the blob board game mm -hmm. This one was really cool because it was advertised as a glow-in-the-dark board game. In fact, it was advertised as a game that you could play in the dark. Uh-huh. But they didn't really work on that glow-in-the-dark feature too well because, <laughs> I mean, in the commercial, it's obvious that it's just a black light that's making everything glow, not yeah. the actual darkness. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so... Pretty funny. It was also neat because this game was like one of the first ones that's kind of up on a platform or up on stilts. Kind of has the same thing going on for it as the Goosebumps graveyard yeah. thing. Yeah. Because your characters fall through the board and whatnot. So I'm wondering if that was like one of the first occurrences of that particular mechanic as well. I think it possibly is because when looking at older board games, which I mean, there aren't too many because I mean, this was 65. So you only had five years of board games prior to that. Right. And they didn't pump them out like they do now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think this might be this one kind of Probably. set a lot of firsts. Yeah. Yeah. You wanted your player to fall through the board because it would give you access uh, to certain uh items which included like you know bats and bones and other spooky things but amongst these items were the 12 kids of the ghost one of them being kelly which um when this game was re-released in 1997 the subtitle for the game was can you stop kelly the green ghost uh -huh. so pretty interesting that they made that change you you mostly want to collect the 12 ghosts because then it would help you reach the end of the game where the players would spin the green ghost and whoever's ghost piece it lands on would be the winner of the game yeah it's interesting that the kind of like the Goosebumps game also, yeah. it's it's it comes down to luck. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how many I mean, definitely collecting the ghost children pieces helps. Yeah. Um, you know, your odds, but ultimately at the end of the day, if you if you spin it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't land on whoever you got, then yeah. oops. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought that was pretty crazy. I was also, yeah, excited by the idea that there was a a, a re-release of this because mm -hmm. um, it is a really neat game. I didn't look to see as far as like 
the excess like because i tried to all these games i kind of see how hard or easy it was to get your hands on it Mm -hmm. because i definitely would love to collect most of these i would especially love this one just because i love like the whole aesthetic of it yeah it's definitely up my alley oh absolutely (laughs) yeah yeah that one i thought was really fun i also saw that apparently because there's technically three different editions of this game And the way that the pieces are, you never know exactly which edition of the pieces you have. Uh So even if you were collecting the pieces bit by bit, you wouldn't know if you had a full, like, 1965 collection or a full 1997 collection. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's really fascinating when you start looking at... um... At game pieces and additions, um, mm-hmm. and, and the closest, the the most recent example I have for this is Dragon Strike. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Because our our uh, our good friend has been you know getting into that game and and Hero Quest and stuff, and those he, he had gotten them used and they were missing pieces, and so he had ordered the missing pieces, mm-hmm. and the missing pieces as it would turn out were actually from the UK edition of it yeah which are barely different except for their uh the base is slightly like the base for the UK version has a little lip on it mm-hmm. and uh and it's also a slightly different shade yeah and it's yeah. so fascinating that that's a thing um uh but anyway back to the horror board games <laughs> um Jumping ahead a little bit uh, to the 80s and the 90s. Well, we shouldn't jump ahead yet because I can't believe you were going to forget like one of the most important vintage Uh board games. (laughs) Come on. You you can't not mention, I want to bite your finger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A, A little simple board game where you're just going around and depending on what you land on uh, is if you have to stick your finger in Drax's mouth. Yeah. And these two little felt tip pens would come down and just right on your finger. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that is. Um, I saw that one uh, amongst the vintage games and I almost listed it, um, especially because of the fact that it has a lot of heavy comparisons to games like Don't Wake Daddy. Right. right. And, and I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just love the the actual biting mechanic. That's really fun. I, I do like that a for lot. For smaller children yeah. especially, that's like super cute. Yeah. Did you see, is there, were there any uh, secondary editions of that or was it just the only? See, uh, I didn't really look into that. I just, I just really wanted to, just mention, to mention it. it. Yeah, yeah. I don't blame you. I'm <laughs> sure that there's some listeners out there that really appreciate because that is, that is a really fun game Uh yeah i've always wanted to find that one somewhere that'd be really neat like ever since i i can't remember what youtuber i had seen uh that was doing like a old school vintage board game reviews but Mm -hmm. he had mentioned it and that that was like the first occurrence that i had seen that game and was like oh my gosh yeah i can't believe they'd have something like that (laughs) back then oh man yeah yeah i'd like to I'd like to find that somewhere. Yeah. So now we can move on <laughs> let's, to yes. Let's let's uh, jump jump up into uh, the eighties. We're gonna jump around a little bit in the years uh, on this. It's not like it's actual chronological order. Lots of games in the eighties, especially the nineties, um, would be promos for various properties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, barely reinventing the wheel. It would usually just be, like I said before, it's basically Candyland, but 
you know, well, let's throw the Adams family on there, or, yeah, or yeah. you know, or let's throw Freddy Krueger in the mix. Well, I mean, Close Encounters of the Close Third Fre- Kind. Yeah. Why, why is there a board game for that? And I bet, like, because also <laughs> a lot of those kind of bo- like the like property based board games usually they're either a derivative of like Candyland or Sorry, but or or they would be a tr- just a trivia game, mm-hmm. you know. And so I just I didn't really like again that will be. Me- I like to save um, the idea of uh, property-based board games uh, for episodes when we're talking about properties mm-hmm. uh, and merchandising for them. Yeah. So you'll hear about some of those someday in the future. <laughs> <laughs> a few that stood out uh, to me, at least, for the 80s and 90s. The first one I'm going to start with is one that the the box for it caught my eye. Mm-hmm. And then I also started to see it on, on more and more, like, best of like horror game list or at least like unique horror game list and that is shrieks and creaks from 1988 this was a really neat mechanic of course in the 80s uh you would start to see a lot of board games start kind of um include like electronic parts second or third edition of mystery date where they have like the actual little button that you press on to hear your date or uh mall madness Mm -hmm. you know those kind of games this one was a pretty neat mechanic because uh, it actually included a little cassette tape uh that was in like a tomb piece and each one of the players they end up basically getting keys as they play the game and you insert the key into the into the tomb and then it would talk to the players telling them to move to different rooms on the board you know sometimes sometimes you wanted this to happen it's kind of like a haunted house again you know where sometimes you want it to happen because it'll get you closer to uh where you want to get to and then sometimes it completely screws you over it would seem that the overall consensus i saw online uh of people that have actually played this game, you basically didn't want the the tomb to talk. <laughs> like, if nothing happened, great. <laughs> uh, what really caught my eye about the main character on the box was he looks just like Zachary. He does. He does. Uh, and this is I I, I uh, this might be one of the games I spent the most time doing research for. Because I was trying to see if there had been anybody in, in like the forums for board game geeks or any of these other like horror board game enthusiast websites, mm-hmm. if anybody made the connection and no one says anything. And it's absolutely insane to me because he is, it's Zachary. Yeah. He looks just like him. Maybe he looks a little more ghoulish. He's a little bit more ghoulish. But I think that's how he's drawn. That's how, yeah. Like if you look at like Zachary's and, and I, guys, it's clear. I'm a super fan of Zachary. Yeah. <laughs> um, everything always goes back to him. But if you look at like his, his albums mm-hmm. um, and they do the character of him, this is what he looks like. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Like, if anybody out there is a fan of Zachary and knows anything about Shrieks and Creeks, <laughs> and you actually have some, like, was there a cease and desist? Like, yeah, maybe the person was like super inspired by Zachary, yeah. and then you know, just was like, maybe if I change it up just slightly, just a little yeah, bit, nobody, little bit. nobody will notice. Yeah, I don't know. I would love to find a copy of this mm-hmm. simply because of the fact that I would like to display the box. Yeah, I don't think I would play it too much, um, strictly strictly because of the fact that what I was learning about the game mechanics is. It's not a particularly fun game. Ah, like it's because it, it is. I mean, it's at its heart, it is a race game. But um, even with the additional feature of the talking tomb, it's just um, 
a lot of people just say that you're just you're just moving. Yeah. The whole time. Like there's nothing really added to it. Mm. And so the the gimmick of the talking tomb wears off pretty quick. Speaking of gimmicks. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> moving on to another board game that I thought was super neat and I remember advertised in comic books and also on TV was Nightmare from 1990. It's also known as Atmosphere. Yes. In other countries. Not Atmosphere. Atmosphere. Fear. Fear. Ooh, scary. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a little cheesy. Oh, absolutely. And hilarious. <laughs> so moving, uh, upgrading from uh, having cassettes or little electronic things that talk to you, this game, the, the mechanic that was kind of cool is the fact that it's actually a VHS board game. Mm-hmm. So as the players are playing, they actually have a videotape playing along with them and you're not only kind of playing against each other but ultimately you're playing against the 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 tape now would this be one of the first games to do this because i know that this became kind of a trend especially in the 90s yeah like dragon strike and stuff like that yeah but now dragon strike um the uh, the tape is strictly just for atmosphere okay, like it's yeah it's you're, you're not playing with it but yeah you're yeah. right like this I, I don't know if this is the first to do it, but I would definitely say that this was the most popular mm-hmm. uh, to do so. Um, it was so popular that it got a few expansions. That's so neat. And yeah, that's what really shocked me because especially during this time, there wasn't anything like that either. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think outside of like um, Mind Trap of... Yeah. That was one of the first games I think I ever saw that actually have expansions to it, which was just more trivia cards. Yeah. You know, maybe Trivial Pursuit. But again, that's that's you're printing words on a little card. Yeah. This was full boards, new characters, new new VHS, everything. And the production value. Yeah. Of the of the the gatekeeper mm-hmm. and and the and then later on the other characters that are featured in the um, nightmare uh, expansions. Yeah. Like it was the, the the they actually spent some budget on this mm-hmm. one. Now, I will say there was supposed to be a fourth one, but apparently I guess they didn't have enough money to actually make the fourth one. So oh. they made it into another board game called Harbingers. Huh. I, that, that I did not know. So I, I I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, that is fascinating that they just kind of uh, salvaged. Yeah, this. yeah. That's literally what they did was they just took the pieces of what they already had and was like, well, we can make another board game with it. Huh, that's fascinating. So the actual mechanics for this game is it's, it's, it's a race against time. Um, because as you're playing uh, the board game and stuff, like the, uh, the gatekeeper keeps popping up. Um, and basically, like, he would dictate what would happen to the players and, and, and set traps, more or less. And then there were spaces and things that would happen on the board that would uh, buy you some time where you get you would get to, like, pause the tape so you're not getting screwed over by the gatekeeper left and right. Um, the players have to collect six keys and enter the center of the board. Mm. And what also makes this neat is um, at the beginning of the game... All the players have to write what their greatest fear is so that when at the end, whoever enters the center of the board, they have to like reach into 
like a sack or whatever mm-hmm. and pull out a fear. If they do not pull their own fear, then they win. So another game of luck. Literally luck of the draw. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter if you get there first. It, you could possibly not win. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- yeah. Yeah. Like you just get screwed. Damn. <laughs> um, what made me exceptionally excited is the fact that next year is the 30th anniversary of this game, and they're actually supposed to be releasing a uh, a 30th anniversary version of it. Ooh. Um, if you are interested in playing the original, however. Um, be ready to dish out $200 for the core game mm-hmm. since it is vintage now. Also, like, very popular. Like, yeah. I, I know that, like, I've heard a lot of people over the years talk about this oh, particular yeah. game. So Yeah, I think that this one was featured on Board James um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and a couple of the other, like, YouTube, like, review sites. Yeah, I definitely remember my dad talking about it at one point, too. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, I mean, it's such a unique game. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find, I think you can find, uh, I was looking to possibly get this. Um, <laughs> I did find on Macari, they have, like, incomplete versions of it available for like 60 bucks hmm. um it usually they don't that's because they don't include the actual vhs here's a little fun fact kiddos if you get an edition of this game that's missing the vhs they have uploaded the uh the videos to youtube mm-hmm. so theoretically you can still play this game so that's pretty fun pretty cool the last one for our 80s 90s uh that i've got for uh this part of the list is uh, mall of america spelled m-a-u-l this was the first zombie board game that i ever came across uh in my youth yeah i really wanted to play it as a kid so yeah. bad we i remember like so uh our local comic book shop they only have like five or six board games at a given time and they're usually all of them were kind of crap but this one stood out because the board uh, uh the box for it is absolutely enormous uh-huh. and so i was aware of because i think zombies came out around the time that we had found this game and i was just like well zombies is a kind of small box and yeah, it's got like a bunch of little zombie figurines, but mm-hmm. Mall of America is humongous, so it must have a shit ton of zombie figurines. Yeah. It does not. <laughs> the box is huge for whatever reason. However, when you open it, it's it's all like paper cards and, and little like markers and stuff, and the board is ugly as sin. But the board is oversized too, yeah. if you ask me. Oh yeah, yeah. The board is absolutely <laughs> enormous, and it's it it is just a basic grid with various like colors representing spaces that are shops within the mall, so you can get different kinds of supplies and stuff. It was one of the first board games I ever saw that you had your players playing the survivors, and then you had a player that was a zombie controller. And so that was kind of neat, but the mechanics for this game made it where it was, if you were lucky, two hours long. Dang. Um, because it's so flipping huge. Um, if you're not lucky, it's like six hours long. <laughs> I have never actually played and completed a game of this. Because um, every time that me and my friends would set this game up, it would usually result in us arguing about the rules because the ru- the rules, in my opinion, were extremely diluted and, and co- overly complicated for what should have been a pre- relatively simple game. Because it's basically Clue, but with zombies. 
and and even more so like it was just you would just get so exhausted just looking at it um so yeah i never actually played through it i would love to maybe one day play through one successful uh, uh round of mall of america just so i could say that i've played it um mm-hmm. though i will tell you after my experience of dealing with it as uh in my youth i i don't look forward to that eventuality <laughs> There's still a small part of me that wants to play it, even after hearing your horror stories about it. Yeah. Just just to fulfill that childhood dream. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. we'll never, we'll probably never get our hands on it. No, no. Unless probably. they release an anniversary edition. Yeah, which maybe they'll make it good. Um, <laughs> now, finally, we shall talk about just a handful of modern board games. The this is where I can come in more because I have played, yeah, a good amount of the newer ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and uh, most of these we have like either actually played or even actually owned. Yeah, we. I guess we might as well start with uh, Dead of Winter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2014, of course, is when it came out, which it seems like it was much longer than that. Sure. Um, yeah, I guess so, huh? I didn't think that it was such a like new game yeah right because we basically played it i guess like right after it came out yeah and well okay never mind it yeah i guess it, it was actually new the first time that we played it so of course we're keeping with the zombie theme and we could actually have a list dedicated to strictly zombie board games oh, yeah. card games dice games like Ugh. everything under the sun yeah 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 <laughs> as we talked about in uh warm bodies there was a point in time especially during this time where there was nothing but zombie stuff all around yeah. you so yeah, yeah the market was very very flooded <laughs> uh however though out of the many zombie related things out there dead of winter is like just peak zombie survival mm-hmm. like it's such a good game yeah, it's really fun <laughs> And it's a relatively easy game to learn, especially, like, if you have a seasoned player do the first turn. Yeah. And it's become an actual staple for us over the years where we pull it out and go, you have got to play this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of, like, these kind of board games that have a lot of pieces that either the... The rules are really challenging mm-hmm. or there's just too many pieces to keep track of and stuff like that. And on the surface, looking at this game, it looks it, complicated. It looks overwhelming. But realistically, the cards tell you exactly what to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and plus what I appreciate, especially with modern games, is that the player, the player card has the list of the mm-hmm. turns and all the steps and and what you, what can, you do. can do yeah. yeah and that's really really helpful especially for new players yeah more more board games definitely need to have one of those little cards included oh absolutely but of course the the game it's all about survival mm-hmm. and you're working with the other players unless of course you're what we like to call a wesker yes a sabotager <laughs> yes a saboteur <laughs> yeah so so one of the players can possibly be a saboteur. Uh, it all depends on what your secret mission is that you yeah. get at the beginning of the game, which that that's a mechanic I really love about Dead of Winter. Yeah, because it is a co-op game at, at its core. Mm-hmm. But yeah, everyone has their own personal agenda, mm-hmm. which just kind of like it ups the thrill 
mm-hmm. of the game that much more. You have to maintain food, and during certain rounds, you have to get a certain amount of different supplies. Yeah. And- just like all the normal zombie world stuff that you, you got to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like it does such a good job encapsulating zombie survival horror uh, because of that. Because like every round you have a, a crisis where you have to collect, you know, medicine or additional food mm-hmm. on top of the food that you already have to have mm-hmm. for the people that are in the colony. Um, that's just such a neat idea. Mm-hmm. Another mechanic I really like about the game is that in addition to the characters that you're collecting, there's also like helpless survivors yeah. that end up joining where they're just another mouth to feed. Mm-hmm. And I love it when there's a card that pretty much makes you decide if you're going to kick all those people out or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because also, yeah, another fun mechanic is the fact that um, amongst your colony, you have to vote on things. Things, you mm-hmm. know, because different events happen uh, from from turn to turn. Uh, so, yeah, like if you guys are running low on food and you potentially are going to have some helpless survivors be added, which are, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, mouths to feed, you can vote to not include not let them in Mm -hmm. however sometimes that means that you lose morale yeah which (laughs) you can lose morale so easily in this game which when you guess what when you get to zero you've lost yeah yeah there's also a lot of ways to lose the game yeah so that that's what makes it fun to me is that there's just so much that can go wrong so quickly and that's why it's just become a game that over the years we've played replayed and replayed so many times Uh, I know there's expansions yeah. now. Yeah, there's several expansions at this point. Uh, we don't have any of them, and well, I don't yeah. know why. I, I don't know either. <laughs> uh, they just recently came out with a new edition that um, uh, I believe it's an expansion, but it also can be played as a standalone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was pretty neat. I like it whenever you, you can, like when expansions come out that are like that, where basically you can just kind of play a mini game. Yeah. But yeah, and I think that there's even like a Walking Dead edition of it. Uh, yeah. Too. I do remember when they put out the Walking Dead one. And uh, I mean, so that's neat. If you want, if, if maybe you want to get somebody uh, into this game that maybe they're not super into board games, mm-hmm. but they're super into Walking Dead. Yep. You know, it's, it's just, just kinda, pull that out. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it adds that little, because sometimes you have to pepper in, some property mm-hmm. you know recognition to to get someone to play something now if you do play this game to make it even more fun you need to make up a backstory for your characters yeah yeah something that we do when we play this game is um on our first turn um we introduce our survivors and usually <laughs> yeah pepper in a little bit of extra you know sauce uh, to those characters <laughs> as well as far as like what their personalities are like or mm-hmm. maybe even what their relationship is to the other survivors and stuff like that i always love it whenever you know you have a player that will you know also do a little bit of role playing where maybe they'll use a voice for the character yeah, yeah. or the beginning of the turn whenever you read like the like the event card you mm-hmm. know and you kind of like Give you know, spice it up a little bit. Yeah, you know, you know yeah. don't don't read it like you're reading a report in uh in high school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, that one uh definitely so fun. The replay value on this one is extremely high. Um, you'll have a ton of fun with it, even if you lose. You have fun losing, mm-hmm. and that's what I think makes a good game. 
fan favorite characters. Gabby the mall Santa and the dog, though. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It is uh, available pretty much everywhere. You can get it at Target, Walmart, and obviously on Amazon. Yeah, because it has become such a popular it's game. It's a huge game. Next up is uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill. Uh, 2004. Speaking of replayability, Betrayal is a fun game that explores a unique playing experience. Um, Every game is different since the players actually build the mansion room by room. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, you have these room tiles that you place together. And so like, I definitely, I think that's kind of neat. That's kind of like mansions of madness. Yeah. Um, in, in, a, in a sense. And what I like is this one kind of like dead of winter. You have a betrayer that you don't know who it is until the second half of the game. They reveal themselves as a betrayer. And then everyone has to work together to defeat the betrayer. It's super, this one I think is, is probably even easier to grasp than uh, dead of winter. I yeah. think it has it has way less moving parts. That's what I was going to say. I feel like it has uh, less parts to it, yeah. so it makes it a little easier. Uh, I honestly think anybody could pick this one up. Yeah, that's probably why it it too is so widely available now. It, yeah, extremely available. Um, places usually run um, sales on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's usually featured like Target. They'll do like monthly featured games. Yeah, and this one usually, makes that list. Yeah, yeah, so it's usually not the full sixty dollars. It's usually about forty five dollars. I remember when you could barely find it anywhere. Yeah, that's why we still don't have a copy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we just kind of gave up after a while. Yeah. And, and I don't know, like we could definitely pick it up. Yeah, any we could pick time. it up anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just because we've known so many people that actually own it, so yeah. we don't. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I definitely, th- and this also was a game that we had player, uh, we had um, folks that follow us on our socials uh, comment mm-hmm. uh, saying, "Oh yeah, this is the one." Yeah, and yeah. I agree. Like it's a really good game. I highly recommend it. So the last one that I think we need to touch on for this particular episode is pretty near and dear to me because it is like one of my dad's absolute favorite games Mm -hmm. uh this one and another one that eh, just gonna touch on but uh a touch of evil from 2008 like this was one of the first board games that my dad showed me besides like arkham horror Uh going you absolutely need to play this this one's so cool and i know a lot of people would say well what about last night on earth but we didn't need another zombie game on this that's list. Right, that's right. <laughs> it's the problem. But it, yet again, it's another super easy game to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, Touch of Evil is, of course, from Flying Frog Productions, which, yet again, my dad's super huge fan of them. Yeah. But all of the games are by Flying Frog are just so delightfully put together. Uh-huh. They have full, like, cast of actual real-life actors, like, in the costumes and stuff. And all this art is also on the cards in the box, just, like, it's featured everywhere which is amazing to me the quality that flying frog productions bring Mm -hmm. uh to their their games Mm -hmm. is is phenomenal yeah Uh, especially because the fact that their games aren't incredibly expensive unless we're talking about fortune and glory (laughs) but 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 yeah it's it's absolutely beautiful Mm -hmm. uh the setting for this particular game Kind of feels like Sleepy Hollow yeah. in a way because you are in in the pioneer times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the players have a choice to fight four different villains. Uh-huh. 
of course, when we've played this before, we went up against the Scarecrow, but I I believe the Headless Horseman is one of the characters that you can fight against. Yeah, I think I think so. That might be one of the expansions. Maybe. I just it's been so long since we've played it. Yeah. I couldn't really remember a lot. I just remember fighting the freaking Scarecrow. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which is really hard. It was really yeah. hard. Yeah. Now this game is definitely like uh, like with the previous two um which are also very challenging mm -hmm. this one is like it definitely kicks it up a notch yeah it's not like the rules are hard to learn mm -hmm. it's just that it things can go so badly for you so quickly well you kind of like you have a choice of uh of playing this co-op or or not yeah um and so the players can go after the villain by themselves if mm -hmm. they feel that they're strong enough mm -hmm. and along the way you do pick up allies uh to come with you but uh, another mechanic for this game that's so neat is the fact that there's also a council of elders that have their own like agenda going yep. on yeah uh, like they move on their own yeah. and stuff too yeah they like they got their little thing because yeah, like they're specific to locations and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And um and so like they're working against you. I mean you can kind of catch their favor, but sometimes they're working against you as well. Um I think with the scarecrow one, it turns out the count the councils who actually like summoned the scarecrow. Yeah. Yeah. And so like yeah, so that one was it was just so it, it's it's sleepy hollow basically. Like, yeah. you know. And 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 what's also a really neat thing about all all the games from this production company is the fact they also include a cd soundtrack there's that yes. gimmick again yes yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's like absolutely like one of my dad's favorite parts about these games yeah. is that they include something like that <laughs> yeah yeah um it also is very similar in a way to the lovecraftian games from fantasy flight uh where they have I, I I would kind of call like lineage characters mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. there are there are uh, there's always like a, at least I can't remember the name of the guy but there's a character that's in, in all, all of them. them yeah yeah and and it's so funny and uh and I really I just it's just incredibly charming mm -hmm. and um and these games again they're they're very affordable with the exception of uh, of fortune and glory <laughs> right <laughs> it is an enormous it's game. huge it's a super huge <laughs> game um also a really fun one not hard themed so we can't really touch on it too much but, yeah but yeah um <laughs> and and for all those that are still going harumph about last night on earth i i just i think that last night on earth is it's a very 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 straightforward mm -hmm. game um yeah. where you know it's like collect a gas can put gas in into the truck escape you know while zombies happen yeah eh. yeah like it's that's an easy game and i think that's definitely an entry level game um but mm -hmm. for those that want a little bit more of a challenge i think a touch of evil is perfect definitely and don't worry guys if you really 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 want it we can do an episode about zombie board games yeah. and stuff yeah so yeah say something let us know if you really want us to go into much more of a deep dive into night last night on earth uh -huh. let us know yeah, I would like to maybe someday do, you know, if we ever get a YouTube uh, channel off the ground, like maybe do a little bit of tabletop uh, gaming hmm. and stuff uh, for that. Yeah. Yeah. Show us if there's any interest in that. <laughs> well, besides telling us that we need to do a zombie board games episode, uh -huh. we also want to know what kind of board games you guys have played over the years. 
have any of you played I want to bite your finger? (laughs) (laughs) Is what I want to mostly know. (laughs) What did we miss out on? Well, there's definitely a little bit of an elephant in the room that Uh, we haven't addressed. (laughs) I wanted to address it myself. Well, then go ahead and address that elephant. (laughs) Because everybody's probably going, wait a second. Autumn hasn't mentioned H.P. Lovecraft one time during this episode. (laughs) Yeah, because that would probably be another episode for us to do H.P. Lovecraft-related games. And we actually own a ton of them because that's what I collect. Yeah, that is, I would say, more than half of the board games we have. (laughs) I'd probably say about 70% of our collection is H.P. Lovecraft-related stuff. So so stick around, folks, because eventually we'll get to talking about those games. (laughs) Well, now that Thanksgiving is over... Uh, that moves us along to December, mm. and something that happens in December, for at least some people, is Christmas. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to do like last year, and we're going to kind of do some holiday haunts <laughs> for uh, for the season. Uh, and to, to start this off on the right foot, we'll be discussing, much like last year, another round of terrifying traditions of Christmas. Ooh. But I'm going to twist it a little bit and say maybe not specifically only to Christmas, but also maybe just um, winter solstice uh, traditions Mm -hmm. that are spooky as well. Yeah, because I know there's other parts of the world that do have certain traditions that they do every year around this time that aren't necessarily Christmas related, but we could probably include on. Yeah. Terrifying things. Yes. (laughs) So tune in next time to see if maybe you'll learn something that you'd like to make a part of your yearly tradition. (laughs) Until next time, when you find yourself at the table of game and you're rolling your dice, be sure that as that die roll over to that number that you need and you reach the end, of the board to that special spot to release that evil trapped within you do one very important thing and that is you must stay spooky This has been a Podcast Magoria production hosted by James Davis and Autumn Campbell. Music by James Davis. Like what you heard? Be sure to subscribe via Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. Additionally, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook for behind-the-scenes information about future episodes and as well as other spooky things that we may be featuring in other Podcast Magoria productions. And as always, stay spooky. Mm-hmm. <laughs>